And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bench with Bubba, episode 640. We're going to talk some uh, second, third-year players, talk some recent fantasy news, and much, much more in order to help me talk about these players and talk some more fantasy for you all for the 2024 season. Friend of mine, friend of the show, you can find his work over at Rotowire, of course, as he's the lead prospect analyst, senior editor for the baseball side of things. You can find him on Twitter at RealJRAnderson. James Anderson, how you doing, my friend? Doing great, Bubba. Uh, really appreciate the invite and uh, looking forward to chatting fancy baseball with you. Yeah, going to be fun. It's just been a little while. Uh, why don't you, before we get started, remind everybody what you got going at Rotowire. I know you just dropped your top 400 and all that other good stuff. Yep. Uh, top 400 prospect rankings were fully updated uh, on January 15th, right after the international class signed. Um, first year player draft, top 100 rankings are up on the side as well and the dynasty top 400 uh was updated yesterday so that's a brand new update um we've got just a ton of cool stuff on the site it's the prime time to sign up for your baseball subscription if you haven't already at rotowire.com um so yeah i mean just a lot going on i'll be pumping out uh, more articles here in the the coming weeks and um yeah just just a ton of good stuff up on rotowire.com Yep, go check them out. Always a good site, always good people. So, rotowire.com. Let's talk about some recent fantasy news here. A lot of relievers have been set in motion over the last couple of weeks. We'll start with Josh Hader uh, heading to the Houston Astros to surprise us some with Ryan Presley in there. We know Presley's got the saves in recent years, but sometimes there's shakiness. He's had injury concerns, uh, bringing in probably one of the top closers in uh, baseball. Not a bad thing. So, how do you feel like this shakes out? It feels like it's Josh Hader's role. But uh, all things considered, what, what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, I, I think uh, the biggest loser here to me, I mean, it, it's it's Presley obviously is a, is a loser just because people were drafting him as sort of a safe-ish option towards mm. the top of the closer pool. And uh, now you're kind of in a, in a limbo with him because I, you know, I don't really think you can drop Presley yet. Um, maybe in some really shallow leagues uh you could do that but it's it's kind of like your hands are tied with with presley especially if you drafted him before the hater news um you probably want to at least see how the first couple weeks go um but then like brian abreu was one of my favorite non-closer um targets you know like just a, a guy that if something happened to presley he could be just a, a premium closer um in waiting um but while Presley was healthy, you would still be getting great ratios, great strikeouts. And now Abreu is clearly third. So like he's he's just much less appealing because even if something happened to Hayter or Presley, you would assume the other one would get the saves and not Abreu. So, um, you know, he's a big loser here in the short term and the long term. I know a lot of people in Dynasty League were probably holding Abreu as the guy that would step in <clears throat> once Presley moved on. And it does look like it's it's going to be Hayter there. So, um yeah, I mean, it's just a tough break if you drafted Presley as your, your first closer. Yeah, you're right. Presley was that guy that after, like, the elite, maybe our top, like, six, seven guys, you're like, okay, I'll, I'll drop Presley, give you 30 saves, we'll move on and, and kind of see where it goes. But Hater slots in, and I love the Abreu thoughts because I've had Dom on, uh, the bullpen guru from um, from Reliever Recon, and we were talking about Abreu as people's, like, one of their favorite later gladiator picks because if you're like you weren't worried about saves but you wanted elite ratios like you mentioned guy had 100 strikeouts and 72 innings last year 
that's amazing stuff. Sub two year and back to back years will still be good, but yeah, like you said, not the the guy we were hoping for. Michael Bush. We've been uh, many people have been waiting for Michael Bush to get kind of freed from the Dodgers just because there's so much talent in the majors that it's blocked Bush from a regular job. He now gets traded to the Cubs. What are our thoughts on Bush in Chicago? Is he kind of going to let be let run free? Do we think and, and flourish, or, or what are you expecting? Yeah, I think I've been lower on Bush, uh, probably like ever ever since he became a prospect. Like I I I was not you know screaming free Michael Bush necessarily. It, you know I think there's some stuff in the profile where I you know quad A hitter is still an, an outcome that's possible here with Bush. Obviously, he was awesome at AAA last year, but he was an, a 24-year-old at AAA in 2022 and was basically a league average hitter, and then he repeats the level, <clears throat> and he's awesome. So to me, that didn't, like, prove anything. You know, if you're if you're a bat first, first baseman, DH, and you go back to the PCL and you are better than you were the, the previous season, that that's what you should do, right? Like, he, he hasn't proven anything to me yet. Um, that said, I, I mean, I think he's a better, uh, candidate to be, uh, a, a regular for them, or at least a strong side platoon option for them than, uh, Matt Mervis, um, who I think has even stronger quad a red flags than, than Bush does. But, um, you know, to me, this is one where like, if, if Bush is shooting up draft boards because of this signing, I will let somebody else make that investment. Um, just because I don't, I don't think he's a sure thing at all. Like I, I think he's a, a guy that if you if you drafted him maybe before that move as sort of a, a clear bench bat on like a draft and hold roster or something like that, then I think he did all right. But um, like I don't think Bush is a sure thing by by any stretch. And you know they do still have um, Matt Mervis. They do still have wisdom there as a as a platoon option uh, for Bush. So. Um, I, I don't think he's just like a, a no doubt, like guy that just needed to be freed, needed to be playing every day. He obviously wasn't going to do that in, in LA, but, um, I think in, in some cases he's been a little overhyped as this guy that just needed to be freed. Like, I, I don't think it's a given that he, he hits, um, like a big league first baseman should as a, as a 25 year, or 26 year old this year. Uh, the age thing is a bit surprising for people that aren't like hardcore prospect people to expect with like the hype you'd expect him to be 22, 23, maybe younger. The fact he's going to be 26. And you, you mentioned the draft price. He's uh, <laughs> over the last 10 draft champions drafts, ADP is around 340. He's gone as high as 250 in one of those drafts. Um, he's, so he's moving up because uh, I was looking back in that too early one we did. I, apparently I'm the one that got him at 451. So that was a, a big difference. And, uh, We'll see where, where this all – the dust settles on that one. Marcus Stroman heading to the Bronx. Um, is kind of a, one of the quieter targets of many as the, you know, the J Montgomery's still out there and other uh, top – Blake Snell still out there. The Stroman signs in New York, uh, injury riddled the last season or two with him, but we kind of know who Stroman is by now. How are you liking this move to the Yankees? I think it makes sense for the Yankees uh, because they just – you know, other than Garrett Cole, um, you can't really trust anyone else in that rotation. So having a guy like Stroman, like you said, a guy that you kind of know what you're getting, I think that makes sense for them. Um, but I went and looked at the recent ADP since he signed there. And there's, you know, there's probably like a dozen or more guys going after him that I'd rather take in the mid to late 200s. You know, he's 
he's a safe low upside option for fantasy, but there's just a lot of guys that I, you know, like I'd, I'd rather roll the dice on his teammate, Nestor Cortez, who's going after Stroman. I'd rather take Kyle Harrison. I'd rather take John Mead. I'd rather take Louis Varland. I'd rather take Jameson Tyone, Louis Severino, Chris Paddock. Like there's just a bunch of guys going after him where there's um, maybe not the, the type of floor you're getting with Stroman, but, it's not a high enough floor where you're just starting Stroman every week in your league. You're still looking at the matchups. Um, he's not just a set it and forget it type of guy. So I'd rather draft a guy that has the upside to become a guy that I'm starting every week. Yeah, he's like the Andrew Benintendi of pitchers where he's just there and doesn't really – you don't trust him every week to help your fantasy team. So I, I'm with you on that one. It's, uh, it's one of those that, especially in a fab league where he's going – you can find those guys on the waiver wire anytime you need, basically. So, or hopefully anytime you need. Uh, Jordan Hicks, you don't have to go deep in this. I've heard a million people talk about it. It's just I threw it on the list because it's part of the moves. But Giants signed them. They said they're going to stretch them out. It's going to be a slow stretch from what I've read. It's going to like, it, and there's incentives on innings and all kinds of things. So take for it what you wish. But what's your thoughts on Jordan uh, Hicks being Giants? Because I just think it's more of a maybe opener situation, long relief guy for the most part. Yeah, I thought he was an interesting uh, closer spec option yeah. before he signed because I thought, you know, he there were probably a half dozen teams he could have signed with and been the best reliever in the bullpen. But this takes away all of that luster because Camila DeBall is awesome. And yep. yeah, I just not not drafting Jordan Hicks now. No, I just threw it on there because this it was one of I'm with you. I was that was the only optimism I had when he got traded to some of my Giants buddies. I was like. Well, you know, for some reason something happens to Duvall. We got a guy that can be lights out, but they'd have to move him back there. And with incentives, I don't think that's going to happen. So we'll see how that plays out. Uh, Robert Stevenson signed with the Angels. That caused a kerfuffle on Twitter, which was fun. Um, an elite reliever. We know this with Tampa Bay. Carlos Estevez is closer in Anaheim, but we know the warts that Carlos Estevez brings with them. So what's your thoughts on Stevenson going to the Angels? Yeah, he's just he's a guy that there's there's too many question marks for me to draft him and think that I'm getting 25 saves. Um like it it would make sense to me, I guess, to to have Carlos Estefez remain in the ninth inning there and have Robert Stevenson be the fireman. Um you're also talking about a guy who is going from um you know the best team maybe for developing relievers to a team that doesn't really know what they're doing at all. So, um, you know, just a, a major downgrade in terms of the uh, people he's going to be working with on a, on a day-to-day -day basis. Um, so I just, you know, he, he's going to have pretty good relievers, I would think, or, or uh, pretty good ratios. Um, but I just don't think you can say with any confidence, he's going to be the closer there. And, you know, when I'm taking relievers in the top, 300 i'm looking for saves above all else and i just i don't think you can rely on him for that yeah because he's like you said he's getting pushed i know uh curlin's tweeted it he's on as high as 240 in the last 10 drafts it's really getting pushed up there um curlin's been in two dcs since the trades or the signings happened and he tweeted out where he's going and he's climbing quickly people are on the stevenson trains so like you said with so much uncertainty that uh, could work out really well, but also could burn you in a <laughs> massive way. Talking about burning you in a massive way, Joey Gallo signed with the Washington Nationals, and we all know he could hit the ball a country mile, and we also know that he can provide the biggest wind tunnel in Washington now. 
So uh, what's your thoughts on uh, Joey Gallo? Like literally he's ADP's past 700 last time I checked. Yeah, I mean, unless you're playing in a strikeouts OB, league, <laughs> yeah, I mean, OB, OBP league, there's there's something there. If you're just just in an OBP league, um, because he will probably get to 25 homers. Um, but I just I yeah. I wouldn't roster him if I thought he was going to hit 220, let alone 180. Exactly, I'm with you. It's a I'm one of those nationals, I guess. It's a cheap. Let's we need someone to play a position role. But that's about the only thing that worked for. This one's fun, though. This one's kind of in your backyard there. Uh, Reese Hoskins. I've always been a gigantic Reese fan. Um, he's a Northern California guy, so that's always a perk, too. But uh, to me, he's just like a consistent guy where I think there's maybe more upside than we've actually seen. But at worst, you just look at his player page. It's like 245, 25 to 30 home runs. Like, this is what Reese Hoskins does. And uh, now he's a member of the Brewers. So what's your thoughts on this one? Yeah, basically the best landing spot you could have realistically hoped for uh, if you drafted him as a free agent. And I regret not having him. Like he was one of those guys where I, he was someone I was considering as a free agent because I've I've always liked him as well. Um, and I think you're you're right. Like you know he hit the 34 homers back in 2018, and then he hit 30 in 2022. I, I think he could get back over up over 30 uh, if he can stay healthy with the Brewers and. Obviously, he's going to hit right in the middle of that lineup. Um, they really don't have another guy on the team with um, his track record as a run producer. So I think it's a it's a great fit for the team, great fit for Hoskins. Um, where's he been going lately or yeah, since oh, then? Yeah, over the last 10 drafts, 207 is high as 183. So that's kind of – he's getting pushed up, which makes sense because if you start talking like 180s, that's going around your – they got Isak Paredes. I think he's better than Isak, honestly. So I, I'd be biased there. But I, I could see him getting pushed up a little bit more. So Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like, looking at the recent – I mean, like, Encarnacion Strand's going at, like, 152. Uh, yeah. Vinny Pasquantino, like, 165. Like, I, think, in, yeah. I, I think Hoskins should be going with, with those guys at least. 100%. So I'm thinking around 150-ish, 145, 150. Seems like a sweet spot for Hoskins right about now. Uh, a couple more here. James Paxton. This is one where I, I kind of brushed it off at first and maybe for good reason. But uh, his ADP, you know, he's got as high as 329 over the last 10 drafts. And he went and signed with the Dodgers, or it seems like it's a done deal to sign with the Dodgers. And we, we know how good he was at times last year, and then he kind of f- like floundered out. Injury concerns always surround Paxton. But this is a Dodgers team that they made Ryan Yarbrough look fantasy viable last season in his role. They – do you think this is a, a fantasy viable spot for Paxton or is it more just because of the concerns it's somebody else's problem to play with? Um, well, I was definitely annoyed by this signing. Uh, like I'm, I'm a never Paxton type of guy. Like I, I really don't think I've ever rostered James Paxton. And uh, so I'm just annoyed that the people that drafted him got the Dodgers landing spot um, mm-hmm. because, you know, that's, Yep. That's the dream, right? Like, oh, I understand fully. <laughs> draft a free agent pitcher, and they sign with the Dodgers. You know, that's, yep. that's big. Uh, but I mean, I'm I'm just still not gonna go uh, near him. Um, just you know, the durability issues are obviously well documented. Uh, there's, there they've just got so much depth um, yeah. that they could use him in in kind of a a multi inning role. 
um, or maybe like a piggyback type of role as well. So um, if you drafted him before this signing, then I think he did very well. Um, but I would not be paying um, the Dodgers tax on him right now. Yep, I'm 100% with you. It's a guy I can see on a waiver wire at some point in time. Then he can play a streaming game if you so choose. Uh, John Brebbia, he signed with the White Sox. And the casual fan might go, who? I get it. But um, if if you're a deeper you know, fantasy person like we are, you know Brebbia was a pretty darn good reliever. Like He was very, very serviceable with the Giants, not, not Brian Abreu, not Robert Stevenson. But strikeouts were there. And he goes to the White Sox. This is why this is in question. Gregory Santos is technically the closer, um, so we think, and he had his issues as well. Do you think Brebbia has a chance? Is he worth maybe a late-round option as a potential saves guy throughout, at least in drafts like a DC? Would this be a guy that you'd be interested in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you certainly have seen him more than I have, but um, I don't I don't trust anyone in that bullpen currently. Um, yeah. I don't know how much I trust – Brebbia necessarily, but you know, I think it's it's not that hard to construct an argument that he's the best reliever in that bullpen. And um, it just kind of depends what your philosophy, your strategy is with saves. If you're if you're kind of going for late, late closers, I think he's a great candidate to to go after. Um I tend to be more like I, I just like to get two guys that I trust more than a Brebbia. Um but I think in in DCs, you know, like even if it's Santos's job at the beginning of the season, if Brebbia stays healthy, there should at least be like stretches of the season where he's the de facto closer in that bullpen. Um, the big problem, it, like I hate rostering closers on teams that are as bad as I expect the White Sox to be because you just get into this cycle during the season where you like you bench them and they get two saves and then you plug them into your lineup and then they go like three weeks without getting a save. So it's just, I don't like that frustration um, necessarily, especially if I'm relying on the guy to get me saves. But um, if he's like your fourth reliever or something like that, I think it's, it's great. Yeah, no, it's a great point is these bad teams where the joke is, well, if they only win 60 games and only 20 of them are, are savable, like what are we doing here wasting our, our time on them? And that's where you're trying to figure out when those 20 hits is always a disaster. Uh, I will say with Brevy over the last 10 DCs, he's been drafted in four of them. I'm guessing most of those came since the move. He's gone as high as 442. Um, that might be even too rich for my blood. But uh, like Steamer has him for 12 saves. Uh, ATC has not uh, updated that yet. So we'll kind of see where that that all lands on. But I, I wouldn't be shocked if he ends up with like eight to 10 saves. Just kind of, but like you said, finding those days to start, or weeks to start them could be a gigantic hassle. Speaking of another team with a, maybe a changing of the guard in the back of the bullpen or somebody that put some pressure on someone, the Rangers signed David Robertson, veteran reliever. We've seen have really good years as a closer, some murky years as well, but he's got the experience. And you have, Jose LeClerc, who came on and got a handful of saves to end the season. And, but I don't know. LeClerc's never done it for me. He feels more pitch to contact. And he's like, that always concerns me with the reliever. Could be totally wrong. What's your thoughts on Robertson going to join the Rangers? Yeah, I, I like Robertson. Um, you know, again, I, I usually don't kind of shop in that range of closers, but uh it just seemed he he's a ninth inning type of guy to me. Like I, I think you bring Robertson in with the idea of having him as your closer. And then if 
you know, if he's shaky, you can you can move him to a, a setup role. But um, yeah, I've never really been a, a Leclerc guy either, more just because of the the control uh, than anything else. Um, but it's you know, he's the type of guy that I think fits better in a setup role. Uh, whether Robertson still has the goods to kind of be a closer for uh, a several month stretch uh, without losing the job, I think that's TBD. But I would I would bet on Robertson getting the first save um, for the Rangers, and it's kind of a like I I liked Kirby Yates a little bit as like a long shot there um, because of my lack of faith in Leclerc, and I think the Robertson signing kind of dampens any hope of Yates emerging, but. Um, I mean, if you if you had Robertson, like he was dirt cheap uh, before yeah. this. So, like, if you had Robertson, I think this is this is huge. Yeah, uh, last ten as low as five sixty three, as high as four hundred two. So, if you're getting him post five hundred, that's good. Four hundred still good, but that's going to obviously continue to climb with this news that just dropped a couple days ago. All right, let's talk about some of these. Like, I was going to name them like sophomore seasons, but there's some third year guys. It's more like young players that finally had that year where you're like, okay, now I'm interested. Like, we've seen a little bit. Now, you obviously seen or you followed all these guys. You've ranked them throughout your your days at top 400s and everything. That's so why I really want to hear your opinion. Like, from what you saw when they're like even younger, some of these guys are still like 23, which is ridiculous. But and where they are like now, what do you expect the next step? As we've seen a lot of these really talented players in the past take the next step. Some, this is who they are. And that's kind of the question we're on here on draft day is what are you thinking with them? So I'm just going to start with the one at the top. That is one of the most (laughs) controversial is not the right word, but you want to talk a hot topic, hot take of the, of the fantasy world right now. That's Ellie De La Cruz. Uh, We all know everyone was hyped for him to come in last year. We saw the good, we saw the rough, like the guy can hit it a mile. He can throw it 110 miles an hour or whatever. He runs like crazy. Talented as all get up, but there's also holes in that swing. Some big time holes in that swing. Um, what's your thoughts on Ellie though? Because right now you have to pay his ADP is like twenty. So if you want him, you have to pay for Ellie De La Cruz. Now, do you think there's even another level, or are you thinking are there concerns for you? Yeah. So I, I it's he's very complicated because I'm definitely more towards like being high on Ellie De La Cruz than just like. You know, you can't can't draft that guy like his his hit tools crap. Like I'm not I'm not like that on him at all. Um, I think he's a guy that's just worked really hard. Like he's someone I just I trust what he's doing in the offseason. Um, like I think he's gonna be better this year than he was as a rookie. And I think the big area where he's gonna be better is in the power department. Um, you know, he only hit 13 homers in 98 games, uh worst ground ball rate of his professional career in the big leagues. It spiked by 11% from AAA to the big leagues. Uh, like Ellie De La Cruz could hit 30 bombs easy this year. Like that, that wouldn't surprise me. Um, but it, it comes down to a roster construction issue to me. Um, <clears throat> I just don't take guys in the first or second round who aren't going to really help my batting average. Like, I think that's, that's the area of the draft where you have to be building that batting average base. Um, and even into like the fifth, sixth, seventh round, like I really care about batting average so that in the middle rounds in the late rounds, I can take some shots on some guys that I think are going to hit 235. Um, but if you start off with Elliot Cruz, you're going to get a bunch of counting stats, but you got to make up that batting average somewhere. Um, you're just so far behind the rest of the teams because all these other guys who are getting drafted that high 
are going to hit 280, 290, 300. So I just, I'm not going to do it because of the batting average. Um, I think he's going to hit like 240 this year, 245, um, which is, is going to be fine. I think he's going to be very uh, productive. It's just, it's just hard to um, really be strong in batting average with Elliot of the Cruz as one of your first two picks. That's a, I love that answer just because uh, it's either people like seem like they love him or they hate him. It's like, oh, no, he's going to go back to triple A because he strikes out too much or there's this or there's that. But you at least gave the answer like, yes, like he's young, but he's going to develop. He can hit this. It's the batting average. It's a legit statistic that we look at in fantasy that I honestly haven't even heard that many people come out and say, which makes 100% sense. Like Bloomfield and I talk about it all the time of why we, Bloomfield's in love with Freddie Freeman because like you can just pencil in. 300 plus and if, if you're on a good year 330 plus um like there's there's a ton of those guys at the top of the, of the draft like you're saying that are huge in like 280 they're almost all 280 plus almost all yeah. of them, which yep. it's like you said with ellie down there at 240 245 that is a gigantic gap um that those are players you get in rounds and like picks 110 120 and beyond so that, that's a great point with the ellie. i like that a lot a different way to kind of look at the whole situation with him now it gets fun because this, and we're going to start with the Reds, and then we'll get elsewhere here just for the listeners. But uh, a lot of it's because they have a lot of young talent. We, we were excited to see last year, and they have a kind of crowded player pool. It's it's a it's a tough situation to evaluate. And once Christian Encarnacion strand, like if you believe roster resource, he's expected to go on the bench. They went and signed uh, Heimer Candelario. He's a better defender than, than Strand at least so far in Strand's career. We do also know Strand can hit the ball a ton, and he got better and better as his time went on last year, 13 homers and 63 games, and he hit 270, which when I looked at that a while back, I was actually surprised it was that good. Like, I'm like, that's actually more impressive than I thought. So what's your thoughts on Strand, who right now, like you mentioned earlier with Hoskins, he's going around 155-ish, give or take. Are you in on that, or are you concerned about the playing time with him? Uh, so... <clears throat> The two guys that I think are going to really miss out from a playing time standpoint on the Reds are Jake Fraley and Jonathan India. Um, like, I just think it's going to be premium lefty bat off the bench for Fraley, premium righty bat off the bench for India. And those guys will spell the other guys um, from time to time. That said, I don't love the price on Encarnacion Strand. Like, I think you're you're not like paying for the best case scenario here, but um, like it's, there, it's not a 0% chance that Encarnacion Strand only is in a part-time role. Um, you know, it's probably not like a 30 or 40% chance, but even just like a 10% chance that Encarnacion Strand only gets to like 450 plate appearances this year makes that a bad pick to me. So um, there are other guys we're going to talk about where I think the price is right, but you know, first baseman, um, you know, we talked about Reese Hoskins. Like, I think I would just take Reese Hoskins straight up over CES because I know the plate appearances are going to be there. Um, like, I know what the role is going to be with Hoskins. Uh, like, I love I love Tristan Casas. I love Josh Naylor. Uh, I like Spencer Torkelson. Like, I'd rather take those guys a couple rounds earlier and just kind of lock that production in than go chasing uh, international strands power. Uh, he does have the type of skill set to, to kind of make that look like a great pick. Like he could hit 40 homers this year. Um, but it's just, there's enough, just like a sliver of uncertainty there that I'm just going to be looking somewhere else. Yeah. No, I, I wrote about it when Candelario got signed. I put a little article out and uh, 
it was just uh, it basically knocked strand off my board i just wasn't going to deal with it like you said at that i'll take those risks later in the draft because that's where they lie to me uh not at that point uh, if, if the reds prove me wrong so be it and but, uh, i'll stay with and them. i love i love candelario because so do i he, he's a really good hitter and yeah. <clears throat> this is a park that just it's a perfect park for him because he's the type of guy where, you know, it's a lot of doubles power. And in that park, you know, he could set career highs across the board. They didn't pay him that money to, to sit on the bench. So I, I love Candelario at his cost. Yeah, we're on the same page. The biggest thing for me is like, like you said, they paid him money. The Reds don't spend money. Like that just like spoke volumes to me. And he already set a career high in home runs last year. So let's see what he can do in great American. I'm uh, very interested in that. Matt McClain. This is like, you know, he kind of got overshadowed from some other massive uh, ads early in the season, but this was one of the best, if not the best free agent uh, prospect ad this past year, the power the speed, he basically five categoried it for the most part, but you have to pay an ADP of 60 from McLean basically in the second season. Now, are we in on that price tag? So Bubba, I mean, I'm sure you've had guys like this uh, as well, but like I, like I was higher than, <clears throat> I was higher than pretty much anyone on McLean coming into the draft in uh, 2021 out of UCLA. And I remained extremely high on him until that 2022 season. I just really did not see that, that strikeout bump um, coming at double a, and then I kind of got off of him and I just, I really regret doing that. Um, I should have stayed the course a bit more with McLean and you know i've i've come back around obviously like he was extremely impressive uh in that debut <clears throat> but it's just it's a little much to me uh the the price on him um i i get it uh, you know I, I love the dual eligibility i love the park um always looking for guys that are gonna do do a ton of ton to help in in all four of the the counting set categories which uh, which he should do. Um, it's just it's maybe like a round too high for me, um, but you know maybe maybe I'm just kind of missing it on him. Like I I missed it on him last year, but yeah I I just I haven't really thought about him at his ADP. Yeah, I have zero shares as well. I'm with you on that one. I'm also I, I have a, a a weak spot potentially for these young players and. Should I believe situations? It's one reason I love doing this show with you on this one, but uh, I just kind of need to see it twice. Now, given Great American will make a lot of those fears go away, but uh, kind of wait and see at that ADP. And also when I'm in drafts there, I'm probably getting a pitcher or something else that I need at that point in the draft. It makes it tough to take him there. I mean, honestly, I think like Andres Jimenez is going to have the exact same season as Matt McLean, and he's I, going like four rounds later. I have a problem with the Guardians hitters right now. I like way too many of them at their price tags. I've got between NFBC, Underdog, I've, I've got way too many Guardian shares right now. It's like how I was with the Brewers last year and it worked out okay, but we'll see how the Guardians go this year. And more confidence in the Brewers. Uh, Noel V. Marte, another red, the last red. Or no, I have one more red to talk about here. But Marte is the only other player on the NFBC to go number one overall in the draft this year, if you didn't see that <laughs> one. Um, so he's got that going for him. But uh, ADPs are on 173 right now. There's a lot to like about Marte, it feels like. I, I was I was happy when he got called up, especially late in fab season, not much more affordable. But you know, three homers, six steals in 35 games, hits for average. So what are our thoughts on Marte? Another reason why Strand's kind of in trouble 
because Candelario will play first and Marte at third, most likely. Yeah, I, I like the cost on Marte, and I don't. I honestly don't see that big of a gap between him and Matt McClain, just in terms of the counting stats I expect from them. The the biggest difference is Matt McClain's going to hit higher in the lineup than Marte. Um, but if you just told me like one of them was going to hit fifth and one was going to hit sixth, like I think the production would be very, very similar. Um, I, I definitely believe that the Reds, I really think they believe in Marte, Ellie, McClain as sort of key pieces that are going to play pretty much every day, third base, shortstop, second base. Um, Marte is just, he's really toolsy. Um, and he's kind of like what he did last year. I, I think just it's, it's getting slept on a little bit too much. Um, just how much success he had um, as he climbed from double AA, a triple a big leagues strikeout rate um, peaked at, at 20% in the big leagues. And this is a 21-year-old that, that started the year at double A. And he's a guy that, that could steal 20 bases. He could hit 25 homers. I mean, I think at his peak, I think Noel B. Marte is a guy that could go 30-20. Um, and that's just great at shortstop. And obviously you love the park. Um, you know, he could he could hit his way into a higher spot in that lineup too. Um, you know, looking at the third basemen that are going around him recently, like Alec Bohm, Key Brian Hayes, I, I would take Marte over both those guys i just think there's a similar floor and a much higher ceiling yeah i am with you there i've been i was honestly surprised Marte's adp is that low i guess is all things considered it was it was kind of a there's always a handful of those guys we see every year it's like huh what, what am i missing where, where i'm looking at this and his was always one that if you miss on third base or whatever that's definitely want to maybe push up a round or two to make sure you get third base covered but he, he's one of those that's good i'd be comfortable doing that with Spencer Steer, like the uh, Swiss Army knife for the Cincinnati Reds, played all over the place. Um, he's projected to, to start in left field this year. His ADP is 126, as high as 111. I will say the caveat is a DC ADP. He's first base, third base, outfield. That will help that ADP a ton. Now, he'll probably still have a good price tag come you know fab days. But what's your thoughts on Spencer Steer? Because he kind of just was like the unheralded guy. He played 156 games. Uh, he hit 22, 23 homers, 15 steals, 271. Like he put together a great fantasy season. And he just kind of seems under the radar because of all these other amazing prospects that got called up. So should we be believing in Steer is what I'm trying to figure out. I, I think so. I think <clears throat> so. Like of all these Reds guys, he was the guy that I had on the most teams last year. Um, the eligibility is just fantastic. Uh, it's just it's such a bummer that he didn't get four more games at second base because then he would really have the he would kind of have the nuts in terms of uh, mm -hmm. position eligibility and then I think you'd see him be going even higher probably um, and he could add you know it's not it's not completely impossible that he adds second base in season if McLean gets injured but um, the the big thing for Steer is like he's not a great defender but he can play left field and um, I think that they're just gonna keep him in the lineup pretty much every day as the left fielder as a guy they can move around a little bit um <clears throat> you can like look at where they hit him in the lineup last year right like he was just playing every day usually hitting like third fourth or fifth like i don't see them taking a player like that who is that productive for them and just moving him to a part-time role so i feel good about steer it it is it's a high price to pay for a guy who might only hit 20 homers and might only steal 
10 bases. You know, maybe he gets to 15 again. Um, I don't necessarily think he just completely reprises the production from last year. There might be a little bit of give back. Um, but I, I just I trust him as a hitter. Like I think he's just a really good uh, hitter. He doesn't need to be platooned. Um, and the eligibility is great. It's just it's, it's a high price. I think I've got him on one team, one out of five DCs so far. Um, you know, I do like guys like Jake Berger and, you know, we, we touched on um, Marte. Like if I'm looking for third base, if I'm looking for first base, I might be looking for a bit more power. But, um, you know, I, I don't have any problem with Spencer Steer at his cost right now. Yeah, he's he's the flexibility is tremendous. Uh, but the the profile, the stat line, if you just cover the name up and everything, you can kind of find that scattered around the draft later on. So it makes it kind of tricky. But I'm with you. It's I think I have a couple shares. I've done way way too many drafts. But uh, yeah, there there is an, a a place for him on a fantasy team for sure. All right, let's leave Cincinnati. Like that's a that's gonna be a fun team to watch, just like it was last year. We'll see where it goes fantasy wise. Let's go to Baltimore real quick. Gunnar Henderson, um, you know, rookie of the year, slow start, became more aggressive at the play, ended up with 20, uh, 28 home runs, 10 steals, 255, 100 runs even, which is great. What are we thinking? Age 23 season, uh, second full season in baseball. Is there another level to Mr. Gunnar Henderson? Well, I think you you nailed it with just how his season started. Um, he was being way too passive. You know, he was just really kind of – uh, trying to draw too many walks, I think. And once he kind of flipped that switch to being a bit more aggressive, uh, he just really felt it all fell into place for him. He kind of became the player people thought they were getting. Uh, is there another level from what he showed, like from June on? I don't know. I, I don't really think there needs to be, though. Like, you know, he he basically hit like 275 on like a 30 homer pace. Um from when he kind of made that uh, adjustment in terms of his approach. And I, I think the projections are too low on the batting average. Like I'm seeing 261 from ATC, uh, 261 from Steamer. Like I think I think Gunnar Henderson's a, a 270, 280 hitter this year. Um, I mean, his positional eligibility, it's only two spots, but it's middle corner. Middle corner, yeah. And that's just huge, especially – like it, it just the way it happened um, for a lot of my teams last year is the teams where I had the most multi-eligible guys were my best teams because it just it gives you so much flexibility in season, um, and even like midweek. Um, I was say it's not just injuries; it's like that Friday roster lock or whatever. Like it changes everything. Right, you you can carry one less hitter if you've got the right guys with the right eligibility, and that just frees you up. Uh, obviously those bench spots are so valuable. Um, I haven't ended up with Henderson yet, but I, you know, I've been sniped on him a couple times uh, late second round. Um, Henderson versus Devers is a tough one for me. Uh, I happily took Devers in one spot where I got sniped on Henderson, but the more I've looked at Devers, I, I might even take him just straight up over Henderson, but um, you know, I, I really like Henderson. I think the the dual eligibility is great. The five category production is great. Um, I, I don't really have anything bad to say about him. It's just kind of where where is he going? Um, who's available when you're picking him? Like I think he he belongs at that end of the second round, beginning of the third round range. 
Yeah, he's got that 3580p. It's just one of those, again, a problem of mine. Like I said, I'll probably say too many times, young players, I just don't know what to trust. Like that's, it's, it's an issue with me. I, I, but the improvements I saw, and that's the things I love to see, and we hit on it at the beginning, the improvements at the plate throughout the season is a very promising thing. The shortstop going right after him in the draft is Bo Bichette. Would you rather take a chance on Gunner, or do you go back with Bo? I like Gunner 10 times out of 10. Yeah, cool. Uh-huh. Just wanted to go there. Bo Bichette, man, talk about how – that's why if we would have done the same show a year or two ago, but would probably be on the top of that list. And look, we're it's crazy watching some of these young guys kind of take a step back. Um, CJ Abrams going two picks after Gunnar Henderson. And we talked about, you know, Gunner's changes throughout the season. CJ had a few too. He had a monster July, which was great. Still an overall great season. Ran wild, 47 stolen bases, but had the 18 home runs, hit 245. I was I was excited about Abrams last year because he didn't cost a ton. And um, it was, for, in my theory, it's the first full year for a young player. Padres kind of like held him back. Nats had nothing to lose to let the kid play. And to me, I might be just overthinking it. He seemed to get comfortable as the season went on. And it's amazing what a 22-year-old can do when he finally gets, you know, that pressure kind of leaves a little bit. Could be wrong. What's your thoughts on C.J. Abrams now after that first season, especially the way he finished it, kind of really getting going overall-wise and, and heading into 2024? Yeah, I, I don't mind Abrams at all. Um, I feel like he's been kind of similarly divisive to uh, Ellie, but in this case, I'm I'm in at the cost. I think, you know, third round, even like late third round in some cases, I think that's a fine time to take a guy who, you know, I think he's going to hit like 255 this year uh, in the 250 to 260 range. Uh that's that's not going to kill you. That's basically like a league average, batting average. Um, and the stolen bases are just massive. Um, and I think the key with Abrams is you you can't look at last year as like, oh, are we? do we think he can repeat that? Like, he could repeat that. He could also do a, a whole nother level to that. Um, you know, he only hit 245. He had the 279 Babbitt. Um, let's say he hits 255 like i could see him hitting 20 to 23 homers this year um oh, it's a great park like we know he's going to play every single day we know he's going to hit top 3 in the lineup every single day um you know he kind of unlocked a, a base stealing um pace that you know maybe he just does that over the whole season instead of half the season but like you know if he's healthy he's going to get you 40 steals maybe he gets you 50 steals I just I don't think we've seen CJ Abrams' best season yet, and I don't think you have to pay, um, you know, late third round for a guy that could go twenty forty. I, I don't mind it. Yeah, I was telling someone I can't remember it was on the Nats preview I did or something that similarly you said I don't think we've seen the best of CJ because still so young. Like we talk about these players developing, he could get bigger still. Like there's a lot of things that CJ could do where basically he's doing what we wanted Jazz Chisholm to do because he plays a full season. Uh, jazz mm-hmm. has more power i'd say but as a yeah. whole you, you know what i'm saying like this is what we wanted from jazz especially if he gets to like 25 home runs this is what we wanted forever um and i agree I, I think i said i would not be shocked if this conversation next year we're having a end of the first round potential discussion of cj abrams and i would not like the least shocking conversation out there so uh, i think there's a lot to like about this kid 
Tariq Skubal. Now we talked about some kind of you know controversial, maybe might be the wrong word, hitters. Skubal's the pitcher version of this because the when he came back last year, it was nasty, elite. The question a lot of people have: 80 innings pitched. What do we expect in 2024? Because you have to pay for him. It's an ADP of 49 right now. He's not cheap for a guy that might have a limited inning situation. So how are you approaching Tariq Skubal? Because the Tigers want this to be their guy for the future. So you don't know if they're going to overuse him, basically. Yeah, I, I mean, I fully buy Skubal's uh, skills and what he showed last year. Um, you know, he he looks a little out of shape. Uh, I'd, I'd like him to just maybe spend a little bit more time with, with like, the cardio and stuff like that. But uh, I, I just am kind of – amazed at how much buy-in there is with the the ADP like I thought Scooble might be a guy going in kind of the 60 to 75 type of range you know kind of like a sp2 like a premium sp2 maybe um and I guess for some people he is a premium sp2 at, at like 45 but uh, that's where I'm looking to take my sp1 and um ugh, I don't know it's kind of a kind of a stretch like I I, I don't really see a difference between Scooble and Kyle Bradish. Um, Bradish is going quite a bit later. Um, so, yeah, I I love the player. The cost is higher than I thought it would be back in November. Um, and I do I do have one Scooble share. Um, but, yeah, I just – I don't know. I, the market loves him a little bit too much, I think. I'm 100% on board with you. Like, I just can't stomach it at – at that point, he could be in a, where you're drafting him. He might be your SP one if he waited a little bit. At worst, SP two, and that's all. That's rich for trying to figure that out. Like Kelly Kirby's in the chat, and she's uh, from Fantasy Pros. She buys the stuff like we do, just the Detroit's usage of them. What's what are they going to do? That's the million dollar question, and that's one of those I'll be okay being wrong if he does well. Things I'll just live with that and go from there. Now, this is a player you were not wrong on last year. You've always. Seems like you've been pretty high on Royce Lewis, and you you mentioned it. I think on one of my shows and other shows of yours that um, this is the guy. If there's if he comes up, Fab wise, Royce is the dude you want. And when healthy, great. Seemed like a grand slam every other game. Uh, it was just amazing with, with Royce Lewis. But uh, right now, you got to pay an ADP of fifty six. If healthy, like we just talked about, CJ Abrams being a first round guy, Royce is up in the first second round discussion. Health is obviously the concern. Are you in an ADP of fifty six? Yeah. Yeah, I am. Um, I, you know, with him, I think you really have to look at uh, percentage exposure. Um, like I'm not going to end up with 60% yeah. CJ or um, 60% Royce Lewis exposure. If I can get to like 30% Royce Lewis at that cost, I'll, I'll be fine with that. Um, you know, I think he's, he's a superstar and it's just a, a question of how many games he plays. Uh there was like at the very beginning of draft season, he was going like early third round, which I was not about at all. Um, but now that he's going in the fifties, I think it's a really nice, really nice pick. Um, he's just, he's so good. He, he does it all. It's just a question of the injuries and one, one fully healthy season of Royce Lewis and he'll be going at the end of the first round. Hundred percent. He's a he's a he's an athletically talented specimen. That's just really good at baseball. And I'm with you. The the early price stunk, and literally a draft I did last week. I think I took him in the fifth round. I was like, okay, I can do this. I can stomach this, especially at a third base position where 
things get a little weird in a DC, just maybe back him up quicker, go get Marte in like or something, and, and you're good. So definitely an option in that kind of deal. Nolan Jones, this was a fun one. 106 games last year, 2020. Uh, never really ran in the minors, but again, he's still super like to me young. He's gonna be 26, not as young as these other guys, but finally got his first cup of coffee at full time. He's going to be in the middle of that Rockies lineup. You have to pay an ADP of 57. There's been some that still love Nolan Jones, some giving a lot of pushback on Nolan Jones. Where do you stand on the Nolan Jones front? Yeah, I'm more in the middle. Uh, it was a lot of fun having him last year. Yep. Um, you know, that was that was a blast. Uh, I think the Guardians would probably like to have that deal back. They'd they probably seem like to have to outfield have, issues from time to time. <laughs> they basically gave away Nolan Jones and Will Benson. I mean, gave away is maybe a little strong on Nolan you're, Jones. You're not, you're not far off. <laughs> but, like, you know, they've been looking for outfielders forever, and they had Will Benson and Nolan Jones, and they were just like, no, we – we're gonna we're gonna go with Will Brennan and Miles Straw. Um, oh man! <laughs> so, so you know, tough, tough hearing internal. That out, just hearing that out loud. Oh man! Yeah. Um, tough internal evaluations there from the Guardians. I think they they fell too much into this like hit tool obsession thing. Um, but just it's got to be a an above average to plus hit tool, and you know it's it shouldn't you shouldn't put everyone in a box like that, but. Um, yeah, I. It's just kind of uh, like, would you rather have Nolan Jones than? He's going right next to Randy. He's uh, going like if you're just talking outfielders, because I did. We just talked about him last night with on their outfield show, and there's just this pool of where it came down to like if he's the last of like the three, awesome. <laughs> That's what it came down to for me. Honestly, like I, I like Josh Lowe almost as much if not just as much and so you know i i haven't drafted jones yet um i don't think it's a bad price like i think he's i think he's totally fine there um yeah but yeah that, that's what it was it was it was a randy low and jones all pretty much going in that same ballpark all got that 2020 kind of appeal and it's kind of like which one do you trust theory and i think we went it was randy Randy for sure was at the yeah. top for us. And then it was uh I think it was Jones then low, but it was yeah, like you said, it's really close. I mean, I'm looking at the last seven DCs and mm-hmm. Jones is going like two rounds ahead of low. So I'd see that's not a bad discount at that point. Yeah. So like if they were all going next to each other, I'd have them in that order you said, uh, yeah. Randy, Jones, low. But mm-hmm. if you can wait a round or two and get low i'd rather do that um, yeah i don't i don't disagree with that at all I, like, I'm not, I wouldn't be surprised if i draft nolan jones before the end of draft season i just haven't done it yet you're with me because you said you enjoyed it I, I remember i had him on like almost most of my dcs and then i, I picked him up in fab so it was fun it was a lot of fun um and it's just i guess the, the conversation many have is is he you know the people that do the on pace thing which is not always the way to do stats but he's mm-hmm. on pace for 30 30 on a full season but I think at worst you're getting 20-something, 20 20-something. 20 like, that's what you got. So I'm with you. Let's skip to Josh Lowe real quick because you, you were talking about him. And this is a very interesting one to me because at first I was not even on him last year. I was worried about platoons, Rays doing Rays things. As the season went on, he was not platooned anymore. He played versus lefties. And now all of a sudden that puts him on my radar for this fantasy season. And so what's your thoughts on him? Because we saw the power. We saw the speed. Average was not bad, but not great. Are we expecting better things from Lowe, or is this kind of who he is, but at least playing every day, which is always nice? 
I mean, he hit 292 last year. Oh, okay, um, I was thinking someone else. You are correct. He hit very well last year. Yeah, so I, I like two guys I really love from a roster construction standpoint. Uh, and I'm not saying Lowe is going to hit 290 again. Um, yeah. But like Michael Harris and Josh Lowe to me are just perfect kind of like auction targets um, because they can get you, you know, 20, 20 easy, maybe 25, 25, maybe 20, 30. And they're both going to, I think, help your batting average. And it's just so hard to find that type of production. Um, Josh Lowe, like the Rays will still sit him against some lefties and they might even sit him against, you know, over half the lefties they face when they're at full strength. I think there might've been an injury when he was truly playing every day last year. I think Luke Rayleigh was banged up now that you mention it, because towards the end of the year, he was kind of in and out. Yeah. Um, I, you know, the key with Lowe is that you just, you, you know, he's not going to play truly every day. Um, and I think you just got to leave him in your lineup. Like, unless it's a, a weekend series against three lefties or something like that. I think you just leave him in. The production's going to be there. Um, like this is a guy that to me, you know, coming up profile is a potential five category guy, or at least a four category guy that, that didn't kill your batting average. And I think that, you know, obviously there was the, the down 2022 year when people blew a bunch of fab on him. Um, but like I think 2023 is closer to the real Josh Lowe than some sort of aberration. And you know this is his age 26 season. Does he get better as a as a power hitter? Maybe, um, possibly. You know, I, again, like I'm not projecting a 292 average again, but you know, ATC's got him for 266. I think that that is that's like a safe projection on him with with room for a bit more than that and uh i just i love the potential of of the five category production there yeah no like uh, i've grown he's grown on me now like i said they started to play him more often against lefties i'm uh, we won't talk about michael harris but i'm glad you mentioned him because i have done a complete 180 on michael harris like last year not interested at all the more i've looked at him this year like that's a five category beast that is great for your team like you said um, let's talk about some pitchers here. Grayson Rodriguez. There's always been high expectations for Grayson. A couple years ago is, is what it is. But last year started off rough, goes to the minors, comes back. If you just look at that return set of stats, it was ridiculous. He looked like the guy that many process, uh, play, uh, fans were hoping he would be, and it turned out very, very good. Now you have to pay for him on draft day, ADP of um, – 63 64 right now are you in on Grayson Rodriguez I would I would say I'm in towards the lower end of that that range like he's kind of last seven drafts he's got as high as 62 as low as 75 like I I'm kind of in on him in the 70s I'm probably not in on him in the 60s um you know I think you have you have yeah, you have Bobby Miller, Uri Perez right after him on the sheet. Like to me, I kind of want whichever one of those guys is left. Like I like I think you can make a case Uri's the best of the th- right. Like I think he is the best of the three skills wise. Um he's the worst of the three from a getting wins standpoint, just because he's yeah. on the Marlins and the other two guys are on teams that could win hundred games. Um but like I if all three of those guys are on the board, I'm not gonna be the one that takes Grayson 
or the one that takes Bobby Miller. I'm going to probably take something else. I mean, you know, there's guys that could still be on the board. Um, you know, like Joe Ryan, Kyle Bradish, like if you get shut out on one of those guys, like I, I don't see a drop off to, to those guys either. So, um, you know, Grayson Rodriguez is the real deal. It's just a question of does he hold up under a full season? Um, you know, I, I kind of want to see that with guys that throw that hard before I start paying like the premium price. Um, but I, I don't think he's a bad uh, a bad pick where he's going. I just I see some pitchers with with later ADPs that I don't see as a downgrade from him. Yeah, I'm with you. And even the guys just going around Grayson, it's like Freed and Logan Webb right before him. Right after them, Gilbert, Senga, Snell, like at least guys that I don't know if proven is the right word, but um, innings wise has been proven at times. And then you got Bobby Miller, who, who we kind of hinted at there. He's ADP 73. I can't figure Bobby Miller out. Actually, I think I took him in a, in a draft recently as my SP3. That is because I went aggressive on one draft finally in pitching. But like, there's some very smart people that love him. There's other people that tell me to be careful. So what's your thoughts on Bobby Miller? Because the the thing with the Dodgers right now is they do have depth at, at uh, pitching, but it's not the most stable depth at pitching. So Miller might be needed. Yeah, I mean, he's he's going to pop in any sort of, you know, stuff. Um, like if you're just – you're hunting stuff, if you're hunting velocity, Bobby Miller is definitely your guy. Uh I'm surprised that, you know, I'm surprised that the ADP isn't a little higher on him. Like there's enough kind of there that I would, I would think some people would just be kind of gravitating to, to him and, and pushing him up a little bit more than he, than he has been. Um, has there been any reporting on whether they're doing a six man or not? Like What the latest I heard was they are doing a six man. That's their plan. Like right now that is their plan, which makes the most sense with their rotation. Um, so yeah, that's their goal for now, but we've heard that how many times and it never works out for teams, but yeah. 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 I mean, I think the biggest knock on Miller is I just wouldn't project more than like 150 ish innings. Um, I'd probably go like 160 with Grayson, 160 with Uri and 150 with Bobby. Um, so I, I don't know. I got I'm kind of agnostic on Grayson and Bobby. Um, like, I think they're totally fine. I like when I'm on the clock in a draft, I'm probably still going to gravitate towards guys I've seen do it over a full season. Like, again, like Kyle Bradish is going after all these guys. Joe Ryan's going after all these guys. Um, like, I just, I trust those guys um, fully. And I think they've got great team context as well. Uh, wouldn't surprise me at all if Bobby Miller is like SP three next year. Like, yeah. and same thing with Grayson, like both those guys could be in that inner circle of, of SP ones. Um, but I just, I like seeing it over a full season before I start treating them like that. I'm with you. It's usually my MO. That's why I said, I finally took a Miller, not like more of the diversification. If he does pop thing, that's the only reason why I ended up doing it. I probably wouldn't do it in a fab league. Let's put it that way. Um, but uh, you mentioned Perez, so we'll just go past him because I think we're all on the same page yeah. on, on Yuri here. O'Neill Cruz, um, he's technically not a sophomore because I think he's been around for a bit, but hasn't really played, so might be a rookie still. But I'm just kidding. But um, 
he's supposed to be healthy, they say. Are we even buying into this at ADP 91? I don't know. I just, I'll leave it at that. Are we buying into this at 91? I'm not. You know, you don't have to be, you know, you can just kind of pass on yes. some guys and just kind of wait and see how it goes. And mm-hmm. like, I don't mind being wrong. Like, if O'Neill Cruz goes 30 30 and hits 255, you know, and everyone that got him at pick 90 is taking victory laps, like, that's totally fine with me. Uh, just a little too much variance for my liking and the bat, like the batting average. It's just, you know, it's not going to be great. Um, so that that's just not the type of guy that I'm that I'm going after inside the top 100. Yep, I'm with you. No O'Neill Cruz for me. It's got Cole Reagans, uh, Nick Pollock's favorite person in the world. Cole <laughs> Reagans. Um, it was an amazing run with the Royals. I don't think we can deny it. Did a lot of work with the Rangers in the offseason, or um, not with the Rangers, but like a drive line. I believe it was drive or tread. It was tread, I believe, with Reagans. Uh, it was great stuff. Now the question is, is this repeatable for Cole Reagans? ADP's 111. Honestly, thought it would be higher because of the buzz train. But uh, what's your thoughts on Reagans? Because obviously, like I said, very good. It's more of repeatable innings, those kind of questions. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, big big shout out to to my uh, co-manager, Todd Whitestone, for being all over Reagans last year. We had him on uh, at least, least one team, and then I think I added him on an OC that I had solo. Um, based off of that um i you know he's he's electric uh mm-hmm. just the you know dynamite stuff from the left side um i haven't drafted him yet i you know i it's just it seemed like a little too good a little to be bit true a little, <laughs> little too good to be true yeah yeah like i one of those where you you love it during the yeah. breakout, but like I don't, I don't want to have like some teams hinging on Cole Reagan's being yeah. um, productive for me all season. Um, but I don't, I don't mind it. You know, I think it's it's a fair price. It's just I, I haven't gotten there yet. Uh, you have basically the same sentiments I do. It's uh, I you know I had him in a couple leagues. It was awesome to be a part of the run, and I'm sitting there on like any draft I've been in. I'm looking at that name and I'm like. Man, regression could hit really hard. Do I really want to be a part of this trade? Like it could be great, but there's a lot of lot of what ifs with Reagan's and still close to 180p. There's other not as big what ifs type things. And I'm just I'm a safe drafter, so people get bored with me sometimes. But Reagan's could be a lot of fun. Just to be tough here. Let's go to a guy that will be. I'm very confident a lot of fun this year as long as he stays healthy. And Tristan Casas, you kind of hinted at him earlier as the first baseman. You like got a lot of young first basemen to have fun with. Tristan Casas, we saw big things come out of 24 homers, 263 the second half, big, big numbers. And right now, um, he's kind of the front line of those young first basemen off the board around 115. So, what are your thoughts on Tristan? I, I mean, he is someone I'm just all in on this year. Um, really can't say enough good things about him uh you know he was someone that had struggled against lefties at time or well basically his entire minor league career uh he kind of shook that issue last year and he just to me you know i know people will tell you to be careful about looking at like first half second half splits Mm -hmm. um but i think 
Casas is the exact type of player where it can be instructive because we saw him just he was a just a completely different player and he just really dialed in um as the season went on and i just think the the projections are just way too low on him um you know like i would say 275 280 batting average 35 to 40 homers like like to me he's like a top five first baseman and he's getting drafted as the ninth first baseman so um i he would be on a short list of players that i think the adp is just way too low on yeah, no, it, it, and people look at those projections and like we all know that not all, but a lot used a lot of like the three year averages or something in those ranges. So it will skew to, uh, uh, costs us quite a bit. And uh, the second half adjustments, and you mentioned that, and that's a great uh, conversation piece as well. Like, should we use them or not? With the young players, I love to use them because it shows me that they matured, they grew. Like, it wasn't a, a one week or two week, it was a full half of baseball. Like, that was big in my mind and um we'll, we'll see where that goes and that leads into Spencer Torkelson he the development continued and one thing I always said with Tork because I was aggressive on the fab wire kind of a couple weeks before he really blew up just playing DFS you kind of saw there's something there it's coming like you'd have a couple really good games a couple but it was like the power was legit and uh, I kept telling people this was a number one pick for a reason guys not, not all number one picks work I get it but the guy had elite hit tools in the Miley's power wise and so I, I'm interested in this um, and he burst onto the scenes with all kinds of power in Detroit, where people said it's not possible. He had 31 homers, did hit 233, so that's a bummer. But ADP of 125, like I know Costas is, I'm with you on Costas over Torque, but what's your thoughts on Torkelson? Yeah, I mean, I, I buy the projections on Torque. Um, you know, I think he's he's going, I think he's probably a, a slight value where he's going. Um, maybe not a screaming value because of the batting average. Uh, the, the, it, the issue is that the guy that's going right next to him in drafts is the guy that I'm taking over him in Josh Naylor. Like, yeah. I just, I love Josh Naylor. Uh, I think he's five category or like four and a half category, four category. Um, but like, I'll go for the guy with the 280 batting average and slightly fewer homers over torque there but um like if if i'm trying to get nailer and someone takes him ahead of me and torque's sitting there i'll take torque gotcha that's fair yeah no yeah we we can't draft together if you're on nailer and jimenez <laughs> and all these guys this is not gonna work for me james not not at all right now nailer's been team bubba for a couple years and his adp keeps climbing it's not fun um Let's talk Jordan Walker. This is a guy I have no clue what to do with. Uh, there's some very smart people that love the finish of the season, love what they saw. People even before last year obviously had the, the big home runs in F or F Florida, whatever they call it. That's um, probably that didn't sound right, but you know what I meant. Um, but what's your thoughts on Jordan Walker? Because he's going around uh, 123 right now, and people are pretty high on him. Yeah, I'm. I'm not in on him. Uh... I understand. So I would be, I think I would be in on Jordan Walker if he was just playing at a position that he should be playing. Um, Third base. I don't like, I don't like drafting guys that are playing the outfield who shouldn't be in the outfield, especially when they're six foot six. And I think he added muscle this off season, um, which is just not the direction I would want him to go. I'd want him to just be as lean as possible. 
Uh, like he should be a first baseman. Um, like he's basically got the same body as like, uh, like Derek Lee. Um, like, like he should not be running around in the outfield. I'm worried he's going to get injured. I'm worried he's going to take his uh, defensive struggles to the plate with him. Uh, I think the Cardinals have really done him a disservice with the way they've kind of organized this roster to the point where he has to play right field. Um, maybe he just makes a bunch of strides and, and proves me wrong, but, um, you know, I, I love the talent, you know, he hits the ball really hard. He's a good athlete for his size. Um, he's so young, you know, he's, he's still 21. He, he turns 22 in May. So he's got a lot going for him, but, uh, you know, kind of in that O'Neill Cruz bin of like, like it's it's okay to just pass on a guy, even if you know he's very talented. Um, just not a guy I'm building around. Yep, no, I'm a hundred percent with you on that one. I just not I'm not there. Another guy I'm not there on is Anthony Volpe. Uh, 2020s great. We've talked about a bunch of guys so far that can do that. 21-24 last year, but it came with a 209 batting average, and that just just doesn't do it for me obviously i don't think he's that bad but at adp of 133 he's got to be a lot better for me so what's your thoughts on volpe yeah this is not the year um i think next year i might be in on volpe um like i think he's still a year away from kind of getting to where he needs to be as a pure hitter um just don't i don't want to take like i'm not that desperate for stolen bases that i'm going to take a guy that might hit like 230 um where he's going. So, you know, give me uh Dansby Swanson all day over Volpe. Uh, give me, you know, like, I don't think Ezekiel Tobar's line is going to be much different from Volpe's this year. And he's going That's like fair. three rounds later. So I just, fair. yeah. Well, yeah. Tobar doesn't get any love. It seems like so. That That's a fun one. Zach Geloff of the A's. Um, I know I'm very biased, so I'll keep quiet and I'll let you tell me how wrong I am right now. But uh, 267 average, 14-14 in 69 games last year. Showed power and speed in the minors as well. Um, there is swing and miss. Very aware of that. Uh, 138 ADP. So do you like Geloff? Am I an idiot? You can say idiot to me. It's fine. Whatever. You, what are your thoughts on Zach Geloff? No, I don't. I don't think you're an idiot at all. Uh, <laughs> I think Bloomfield. <laughs> I think uh, the main knock on Geloff is just the terrible lineup. Um, yeah, ballpark lineup. Yeah, yeah, ballpark. Ballpark but, might be good actually if they end up in that Vegas uh, AAA stadium. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's it's more the lineup than the park to me. Yeah. Um, like I just, you know, he could get under 80 runs, under 80 RBI. Yep. Um, but. You look at the guys he's going around, um, you know, Tyro Estrada, Tommy Edmond. I think he's just a slightly better version of those guys um, with with maybe a bit more room to kind of provide um, surplus value than those guys. So I don't mind it at all, especially if you're, you know, he just he kind of just checks off that that middle infielder with power and speed that you're, we're always looking for in that range. Like we're all looking for it. He's one of them. Um, so I don't mind it. I just think he sets you a little bit behind in, in the runs in RBI. hundred percent. Yeah. That's, that is the downfall. I'm, I will gratefully admit that that team stinks, but everyone knows that um, <laughs> Hunter Brown. This is another one of these like pitchers where 
you know, we know we've heard the skill set's really good, but I think he just got worn out last year is what I'm thinking. Maybe wrong, but it felt that way. Mm-hmm. ADP's 180, so it's not like a rich price tag compared to those other early guys we talked about. It's things a little more affordable. Are you on, on a guy like Hunter Brown, maybe after that first full year, building up the workload and coming back this year? Yeah, I had him on a few teams last year, and it was it was definitely frustrating to have him kind of give back a lot of that value in the final um, you know, six weeks or so of his season. Uh, and I, I didn't draft him in my like five early DCs, but I think he's, he's a totally fine value where he's going. I agree with the, him wearing down, uh, idea. Um, you know, the big thing that everyone's always wondered about him is like, is he going to throw enough strikes? And I think he's proven that, um, so far and, uh, 176 big league innings, 8.3% walk rate. Like that is awesome compared to what he showed in the minors at some spots. And um, yeah, I think you, you know, there was some, some BABIP uh, bad luck last year. Uh, You know, he had a, let's see, he had a 330 uh, BABIP against last year, uh, 261 batting average against last year. So you know, the whip, the whip is still probably the, the weak spot for Brown, but on that team, you know, he could get you 15 wins. So I definitely don't mind the, the price on him. Yep. That's yeah. I'm starting to slowly buy in on Hunter Brown at that price tag. That's like SP4, SP5, depending on how you're drafting. That uh, seems pretty good to me. A couple more here. And we'll round it out. James Outman. Um, last year, the numbers, the final numbers look strong. 248, 23, and 16. Uh, projections hmm, kind of think he's okay. The ADP is 197. I guess the question is playing time for James Outman. How do we feel about that? But what are you, what are you, are you in, are you out on Outman for uh, 2024? I, I'm out on the, at the, at the price. Um, Cause I just, he's, he's going to get platoon. Like he just, like, I, I, I think he's, it might not be in every, every game type of platoon, but they just have so many, they've just got so many pieces. Um, you know, no, no shame in being platooned in this lineup. No. Um, you, you have those, like we know Betts and Otani and Freeman are going to play every day. We know Will Smith's going to just play as much as he always has. Basically, we know Max Muncy's role, but then those bottom four spots in the lineup, um, there's just going to be days off for those guys. And uh, there's guys that are going to actually play every day going around where he's going and, uh, obviously you love having a piece of that Dodgers lineup, but it's less exciting to have a piece of like the bottom third of that lineup than the, the top half of it. So, um, you know, like Jack Sawinski is going three rounds later. I think they're basically the same guy. That's good comp. I like Jack quite a bit playing every day. Captain Jack, uh, Brandon fought talk about a guy that turned things around. Cause it was ugly, ugly, ugly given, I'll grain assault it when you're getting yo-yoed back and forth. That can't be easy on these these younger players. But uh, once he kind of settled in, got good, and the postseason was outstanding, so he left. You know, I did that Christian Javier thing. Let's leave everybody with a great taste in our mouth come draft season. And right now you have to pay an ADP of 213 for Brendan Fott. Um, are we in on this one? Because between the minors and the bigs, he threw 156 innings. So stretched out isn't the problem with Brendan Fott. But uh, overall production, who knows? What's your thoughts? Yeah, I'm 
all in at that cost. I it's a big bummer that to me it's a big bummer that he had that postseason yep. run because he would have just been such an obvious buy and he would have been going like around pick 300. Um, so we kind of get that taken away from us a little bit, but I, I still, still think he's a great value there. Uh, he was at one point, I think he was my number one pitching prospect um, before coming off the list uh, in part because of that workload. And he showed that in 2022 as well. Uh, this is a guy that's just fully stretched out. He has been for a couple of years. Uh, the slider is a monster pitch. I like the team context. I like throwing to Gabriel Moreno. Um, just, you know, looking at the pitchers that go around him. Like, I, I like him significantly more than most of those guys. Yeah, no, I'm with you. You and the Welsh were always big on the thought train. Every time he came back, like, trust it, trust it, it's there. And uh, I'm with you because you saw enough improvements to end the second half that that would have been great. We're good. I'm in. But then the postseason just took it to a whole nother level. Uh, last player I'm going to mention here is Christopher Sanchez, another young pitcher. He's pitching for the Phillies, obviously. ADP's a 243. We saw some good with Sanchez. Ratios are good. Strikeouts not bad. Um, I imagine the ratios won't be that good, but as a you know, around 240, 250 ADP guys, Sanchez is a guy that interests you at all. Yeah, uh, another great uh Todd Whitestone ad for a couple of our teams last season. Um he was just so dynamite down the stretch last year. I I'm more of a believer than a doubter, and you know, this is a guy that I he might have been. I, I want to check if I ever ranked him on my top 400. Um, but like, basically, like he's someone that I was never in on. And I think the key with pitchers, um, especially you know unproven pitchers, is like I, I'm more willing to buy in if you show me something impressive over a six eight start sample um, than with hitters. Like with hitters. You could be super unlucky or super lucky um, over like a two-month stretch. Uh, like I think with with pitchers, when they're showing you legitimate skills, like with Sanchez's changeup, with his ability to generate ground balls, uh, you know, not expecting him to repeat that four percent walk rate, but uh, obviously good command. Like I, I believe what he showed us last year. Um, he's not a guy that you're going to want to start every single week, but. I like the price. Um, there's enough kind of doubt, I think, out there in the market that the price is going to stay uh, pretty solid with him. Yep. Well, that'll make Bloomfield happy to hear. That's, I guess, number one late round. I want to go get him, guys. So, perfect. We made it through the whole list. Not sure we were going to get there, but we got one listener question before uh, we head on out of here. John H. asks, James, any thoughts on playing time projections for uh, CES and Westberg? Westberg is a guy that didn't make the list, but uh, – how, how, what are your thoughts on playing time for those two? Well, yeah, we kind of hit on CES. Yeah. Um, just kind of, I expect him to play most days. It's not a 100% lock. He plays most days. Uh, I love Westberg. Um, I think he's going to play a ton. Like, I think he's, no projection system is saying he's an everyday player, but I think he's closer to an everyday player than a part-time player. Uh just a really good athlete, really good defender, can play all over. He's got that great uh, middle corner eligibility. Uh, doesn't have the highest ceiling in terms of the homers or the stolen bases, but he could get you to like 15, 10 maybe. Um, maybe even like 18, 12, that type of thing. Uh, 
the fact he's right-handed hurts because of the park, but uh, he's just such a good real-life baseball player and a guy that they can move all over the place. That and I and with the eligibility, with the fact that he will run a little bit, uh, I really like Westberg this year. Yeah, I'm, I'm slowly getting there. I don't think I have very much of him. Maybe one share. Uh, I guess my only concern is, and we're not going to go into this, obviously, but I know they have other options that they can be bringing up in the infield per se uh, sooner than later. So how that all squeezes out, there's definitely room for others to come and Westburg to succeed. But I'm just curious how that all plays out with Baltimore. All right, we'll wrap it up there, my friend. As always, appreciate you joining me. Before we uh, head on out of here, remind everybody where they can find you and what you got going on. Yeah, rotowire.com. Um Definitely a great time to sign up for the site. Uh, a lot of great tools. You know, if you're in dynasty leagues, we got you covered. If you're in redraft leagues, um, like if you don't even care about like prospects or dynasty at all, you got to have a Rotowire subscription for the projected starters grid in season. Like that's so worth that's the, the go to. It's <laughs> worth the subscription alone right there. Right. Um, and uh, you can follow me on Twitter at RealJRAnderson. Yeah, man, you guys probably are if you're listening to this show. But if you're not for some weird reason, please go follow him. And, uh, again, I appreciate you joining me as always. Good time. We'll have to do it again sometime. Thanks for having me. Always. Always. This is Bench with Bubba, episode 640. Catch you all next time.